The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sportbox. Stock markets around the world come under pressure as the infection rate in the US, the UK and Europe continues to climb with New York at risk of a full lockdown while restrictions in London are set to tighten. The United States will distribute up to 6 million doses of Moderna's COVID vaccine pending FDA approval, while the European Medicines Agency warns hackers have accessed information about the drug. The Electoral College has made it official, naming Joe Biden as the next president of the United States, as he calls on Americans to unite and heal, whilst criticizing President Trump's attempts to overturn the result. The integrity of our elections remains intact. And now it's time to turn the page, as we've done throughout our history, to unite, to heal. Volkswagen CEO Herbert Diess secures his leadership of the German carmaker with the backing of the board, but fails to agree a contract extension as he looks to drive a push into electrification. So very good morning. Let's uh, focus on the coronavirus story then. More than 300,000 people have died from the virus in the United States so far, with cases across the country topping more than 16 million. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has warned the city could experience a full shutdown soon amid a rise in infections. Here in the UK, London and parts of the southeast will enter the strictest set of lockdown measures from midnight tonight after an exponential rise in cases. The move means pubs and restaurants must close ahead of what is usually a key trading period for the hospitality sector. UK Health Secretary Matt Hancock has also announced that a new strain of the virus has been identified, adding the WHO has been notified. We have identified a new variant of coronavirus, which may be associated with the fastest spread in the southeast of England. Initial analysis suggests that this variant is growing faster than the existing variants. We've currently identified over a thousand cases with this variant, predominantly in the south of England, although cases have been identified in nearly 60 different local authority areas and numbers are increasing rapidly. I must stress at this point that there is currently nothing to suggest that this variant is more likely to cause serious disease and the latest clinical advice is that it's highly unlikely that this mutation would fail to respond to a vaccine. So look, I, I could bore you about what we're looking at in terms of the data. I could bore you by just saying to you, look at these moves in the markets. As we said in our headlines, we came off and that. But actually, I'm not going to because I'm going to tell you about my new toy. <laughs> uh, Jeff's got this new toy as well, and so has Karen. Whether they know they've got this new toy it remains to be seen. I've only just seen it, and I think it's just arrived in our stats data because we have this amazing pack of data every day. Uh, and quite frankly, it has come up with something quite staggering for me as well, which is a new piece of data which they're going to give us every day, which is the percentage we are off our 52-week low. 
Now, you know when the 52-week low was. It was late March, early April for many of these indices. But let's call it late March as well. Because when when, when I see copy from uh, various agencies and, and, and the reporters saying, we are coming off because we're concerned about coronavirus. We're coming off because we're concerned about further lockdowns. We're down four tenths of a percent, ladies and gentlemen. That is a decimal. It is an infinitesimally small grain of sand uh, in what is a huge beach of a movement that we've had this year. Look at these numbers. Look at these numbers. The Dow is, what do you think it's off its 52-week low? Yeah? It is 64% above its 52-week low. What do you think the S&P is? We get better here. 66% above that 52-week low. What about the, the, uh, the NASDAQ? 88%. Shall I carry on? I'll just do one more for you here. What do you think the Russell 2K has done since its 52-week low on the 18th of March? It has rallied 98%. So when I see these moves, I see 16 points off the S&P and I see 0.6% off the Dow, of which a quarter of that, by the way, was Disney just coming off its recent froth. I say to myself, these are becalmed markets. These are very relaxed markets with what we're seeing uh, on a societal level, which is devastating for many people. Let's face it, it is devastating this second or third wave, depending on where you are as well. But the fact of the matter is these are tiny, tiny becalmed moves as well. So let's not overcook this when we're talking about these market moves. You'll get that elsewhere. If people want to over-exaggerate, go and look somewhere else. Go and flick channels as well. If you want to see what's actually happening, talk to us as well. Of course, the Nasdaq was up 0.51%. The stocks that were rallying were actually, of course, stay-at-home stocks. So let's have a look at some of those names as well. Here we can see Amazon up 1.3%, Twilio up uh, 2.2%, Netflix put on 3.8%. Asian indices look like this. We are seeing a bit of a sell-off. I'm not denying it, but I'm just saying where we come from is exaggerated. Again, you know, look at this. It's tiny. We're down 0.17 on the NASDAQ. The Hang Seng's down 0.7 as well. The Shanghai Composite, have a look at the rally on that one from its lows, is down 0.2 of 1% as well. So all I'm saying to you is, yes, definitely, if people are worried about the second and third waves, they're obviously devastatedly worried about hospital admissions and about mortalities and about infection rates on both sides of the Atlantic. In fact, all sides of the world as well. But let's not overcook the moves we're seeing on the market compared with what is happening at a societal and political level. In the meantime, back to the banks. Jeffrey. Uh, Steve, we're gonna, I know we're going to have a big chat about this, but let me just flag up uh, Credit Suisse. So we're getting a number of lines out of Credit Suisse this morning. I think the key point here is just that they're reconfirming their medium-term targets in terms of uh, CET1 ratio and um, their ambition on the return on tangible equity. So 10 to 12% is what they're targeting, which is uh, comfortably in in double digits um, and encouraging. Um, The group um, says, uh, we intend to restart share buybacks in January 2021 of up to one and a half billion Swiss franc with at least a billion Swiss franc for the full year subject to market and economic conditions. So I think it fits in with some of the messaging that we've had from the European Central Bank and the Bank of England about taking their hands off the throats of the banking sector and allowing investors to believe that actually if the central banks and the regulators are more comfortable with the um, balance sheet strength of these financial institutions, then we should be more comfortable about owning them at these valuations. And I guess the messaging from Credit Suisse this morning, and there are a number of other messages in there, but ultimately 
the group is reconfirming that business is starting to normalise here. With regard to the fourth quarter of 2020, we would note business performance so far has followed similar year-on-year trends as we saw in the third quarter of 2020. And I think it comes back very neatly to what you were saying at the wall here about what is the driver of investment sentiment at the moment and the desire to take risk positions. And I think you're right. I think we do feel as though we're in a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. We may have resolved some issues around the politics of the US election and around the direction that we may travel in next year in terms of Joe Biden and China and the trade relationship. And we now have the beginning of hopefully the end if this vaccine rollout program works into 2021. But there are still big question marks around all of these subjects still. And of course, the ongoing issue of what corporate earnings are going to look like if economies remain locked down. All of the above. And, and, and actually, Credit Suisse is a great case in point because it, it's, it's virtually doubled from its lows of the year. So what I'm saying to you is, uh, you know, good, all good news, but, but the analysts are positive on this one anyway. You've got buyers and, and strong buyers out this one, a couple of holders, no sellers of this stock out there in the community I was just looking at as well. Trades at about 0.57 price to book going forward as well. So it sits nicely in the top a third of the pack at the moment, although not knocking the lights out in terms of a, a US type valuation on a price to book as well. So it's had a decent rally, but it's down, down, still down about 15% year. So what I'm asking is how much of the, of, of, of the good times, of the dividend returns, of actually maybe a, a bit of an improvement in net interest margins at some stage, how much of that have we already baked into the prices of a lot of these share prices? We've gone from a value territory to a fair value to a slightly overvalued to a very overvalued level on many of these stocks as well. Quickly before Karen comes in on this whole conversation. Italy's Prime Minister says the government must press ahead. Um, what are we talking about here? Uh, necessary to adopt further COVID restrictions. We're seeing it in the Netherlands. We're seeing it in the UK. We're seeing it in Germany. We're seeing it in New York as well. The Italian Prime Minister, Mr Conte, saying necessary to adopt further COVID restrictions for holiday season to avoid third wave of contagion, which would be devastating. That is a paper quoting the Prime Minister on Reuters. Karen, you want to jump in? Yeah, Steve, it does bring up some questions about short-term positioning on markets when we have these cross-currents, whether you be, you're trading the vaccine story that is being rolled out across various parts of the world now and you look at that long-term recovery picture and as you talk about the banks and area of the markets where a lot of investors have been rotating some of their exposures. But now what we've got, if you look at the events yesterday for the lockdowns required, investors were very quickly pivoting back into the, some of those areas that benefited during the first pandemic. Very strong rally played out in some of the big retailers, particularly those with a very strong online presence. And you could see in the likes of Zalando yesterday, up 6.6%. You think of all that last minute shopping that should have been done in the stores will now pivot to a lot of online, even though some of the stores will still remain open. People may not be out and about as usual, so might simply just revert to to shopping on the computer. Uh, Same when it comes to the life's luxuries at home. A lot of restaurants and bars shut in in major places. You now see this pivot back to grocery stores, and there was certainly a beneficiary uh, of that trade yesterday, uh, M&M up more than 4%. Very strong trade in that stock. Sainsbury's too up 3.5% and Tesco's. It just went on across the board. Another vote of confidence too, I think, in how strong that digital acceleration has been. We've all watched the fortunes of Next over the years and what we're seeing in this window, very strong online platform now. That stock's soaring 5.8% yesterday, so 5.6 rather, so very strong bounce there. And I think that's the point. Are you going to see market positioning short term to try and 
keep up with some of that benchmarking into year end with some of these short-term plays around lockdowns and more restrictions will benefit versus the long-term play where clearly there's going to be some sort of rotation back to beat number areas of the market. I think travel and leisure uh, where vaccines start to make a difference. But short-term, you've got other factors and I'll throw Brexit into that. We sort of a lot of Brexit positioning in the last few sessions as well. So it's a very choppy market to trade into the end of this year. Yeah, uh, all of the above, Karen. Do you mind while I've still got the thought in my head? Because you know what I'm like? I'm like a sieve. I, I, the, the thoughts come and they go quite quickly. I just want to go back to the banks, if I may, as well. Just the counter argument. I mean, I, I can see the argument why they want to increase the dividends and the buybacks and all that stuff again, get their share prices up, all very nice and jolly. They've got a perfect excuse not to give dividends, to increase the dividends again and the buybacks because of what the institutions of so the, the, the regulators and the, and the central banks have said to them over this year as well. They've got a perfect excuse if they don't want to, to go back with those buyback programmes, to go back with those dividend increases, given the uncertainty in the world. Just one thing. Once you do your buyback, once you give your dividend back, that money's gone. You can't use it for anything. You know this. I mean, it's not rocket science, is it? You get money, comes out of cash flow, hopefully positive cash flow, and it's gone once you give it to the shareholders via buyback or dividends. Yeah, we get that. Can they really find nothing better to increase their NIMS and re- to increase their return on tangible equity and re- increase their return on investment, these banks, than to give the money back and to do buybacks yet again as well? Is there nothing out there after what has been one of the most tumultuous years in history, fact, that they can't find something better to do with their money? Um... Well, I mean, they're just seem- chucking that one in. No, no, no. I mean, it, but, but we talked about, a bit about this um, in the European context with the credit conditions tightening. And the irony of what you're saying is that even as we're discussing this, the loan officers within the EU are apparently getting a little tougher on conditions when it comes to extending credit, so whether that's pe- for mortgages or... What's the ECB or... half a trillion for then? Well, and so we're in this game, aren't we, where the banks want further liquidity and they want the Teltros to actually ease the pain of having to operate in a negative interest so can world. So I, can I square the circle? I'll just give the, the, the flash three summary bullets on this one. Central bank floods market with liquidity to increase loans to the real world and the transmission mechanism. Banks... Buy back shares. There was only two bullets there. Here you go. You got two for the price of three. Um, although I'm sure that the analysts would say, look, the banks at the moment can probably do both of these things because there is so much excess liquidity being made available. I mean, there is an argument here that um, so many of the banks have probably over-provisioned given actually how we've come through the crisis so far, and that maybe they'll be writing back those provisions next year, and that will provide them with even more firepower to either extend loans to people that want to buy homes... <laughs> or do they just want to get their or shares to hand up, the money back to shareholders. year for financials, Karen. Well, unfortunately, you've got this mindset where shareholders are used to these types of payouts, whether it's share buybacks or dividends. And clearly that was put on hold during the crisis as there were suspensions across the board. But now as we talk about a mindset, it's quite stunning because there is this whole idea in a lot of ec- economic circles about reimagining capitalism, that you stop paying out these enormous dividends and share buybacks to shareholders and you put the money to work and you value other metrics in the economy, not just these huge payouts. But if you think about the practicalities here and 
how difficult it is to change that mindset. The banks have been in competition with other areas of the market as well. And we constantly, in Europe at least, talk about the underperformance of banks. Well, European banks are competing with U.S. banks for some of that share of the capital. U.S. banks are competing with other major U.S. names for share of capital. So what have you got? You've got everybody chasing the same sort of metrics that shareholders are used to seeing. So it's a domino effect, and it's very hard to reverse that and talk about other societal benefits and, and even company-wide benefits that you can see the money invested in when the mindset has simply not changed for shareholders at this point despite a pandemic. I'm glad you mentioned societal benefits because next time we see one of these institutions, and again, I'm not talking about any in particular name, next time we see them talking about stakeholders, let's remind ourselves that all they care about in many cases is buying back shares as well. And again, I'm not talking about any individual institution here. It's buying back shares. What do you do with that money? You get your share price up and you improve your, your price earnings ratio. Uh, we've got to move on. But something else we need to talk about as well is why the European drug regulator hasn't approved a vaccine yet for the EU, given that we seem to have approvals now in Singapore, the US, UK, Canada and other countries. Um, we Gavin will... Williamson will tell you why. Let's not talk about Gavin Williamson and his pugnacious wag-flaving. Flag-waving comments. No, no, no. You were right first time. He's been so. wag-flaving. Uh, to be, <laughs> be sure to tune in to CNBC later today as Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett and Goldman Sachs Chief David Solomon speak with our colleagues stateside. That'll be 1400 CET. Uh, US lawmakers from both sides of the political aisle have unveiled a new $908 billion coronavirus relief proposal. The bipartisan plan is being broken up into two separate bills, one that includes enhanced federal unemployment benefits and a second part that includes state and local aid as well as liability protections. This bill doesn't include a second $1,200 stimulus check. Lawmakers are aiming to approve both pandemic aid and a spending package to avoid a government shutdown on Saturday. An intensive care unit nurse in New York has become the first person in the United States to receive the FDA-approved vaccine from Pfizer and BioNTech. Pfizer chairman and CEO Albert Buller told CNBC that the group is preparing to scale up vaccine production. Always there are challenges, but uh, as I said, I think most of them have been overcome. I'm sure across the way there will be more bumps, but we are uh, very used to it. So. Right now, we said 50 million for this year, and most of them already has been manufactured, and we are allocating it. And uh, next year will be 1.3 billion, and we are working to make much more than that. So the 1.3 billion, it is our commitment to the world, but we are working to make much more. White House officials have said more shots will soon be available to Americans. Moderna is expected to receive emergency approval from the FDA for its COVID-19 vaccine as early as Friday, with a plan to ship nearly 6 million doses after that. Delivery companies UPS and FedEx will be responsible for getting the vaccines to their final locations. Coming up on the program, the U.S. Electoral College confirms Joe Biden's victory, paving the way for him to take office in January. More details when we come back.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. You're watching Sporkbox. Well, in corporate news, Volkswagen CEO Herbert Diess has won the board's backing to carry out sweeping reforms at the German automaker. The agreement will put an end to a power struggle that had engulfed VW, although the board stopped short of agreeing to offer Diess a contract extension. Let's get out to Aneta for more. Aneta, just first up on the contract extension, Diess was seeking to extend that out beyond 2023, which is just extraordinary when you think about the amount of change in the C-suite at the moment. Yeah, exactly. But um, I think his demand to have a contract extension, at least according to um, what I'm hearing, was not as important as his demand to get his candidate for chief financial officer, which is Dr. Arno Antlitz, who is coming from Audi. Um, this person wasn't really liked by the labor rep, Osterlo. And one can clearly say that's a win for these now, because clearly... Um, Arno Antlitz is known for being very efficiency-driven. Um, that is something which uh, Dies wants to progress also at Volkswagen. And, of course, there is this constant, constant dispute with um, Oslo, the labor rep, who is very influential at Volkswagen because trade unions play a very influential role at the company, who doesn't want to speed up the efficiency drive because clearly that also means more um, job cuts going forward. So bottom line is that um, Habadis has the full support from the supervisory board, especially from the families, the Porsche and the Peach family, who together own um, almost 50% of Volkswagen, are completely backing him. They're also saying that without him and the job he has done, Volkswagen wouldn't be that successful now um, and, and that efficient and also not that um, ready for the drive into electromobility than it would have been without him. So essentially, it's the full backing for, for him for the time being, one has to say, because that conflict can flare up any moment again between him and the labor rep. And Tabadis got the personnel he wants to have, the management team, but only for the next three years. Um, and a contract extension for um, beyond that period will be anyway very difficult because Herbert Dies is then 65 and Volkswagen law doesn't foresee any, uh, actually rules out to have a CEO above that age level. But that's back to you. Annetta, thank you for running us through the latest details. To another company and to Adidas, which says it may look to sell off its Reebok brand as part of a new strategy plan set to be unveiled early next year. Net sales for Reebok fell 7% in the previous quarter. Last year, Adidas wrote down the American brand's book value by almost half. Adidas acquired Reebok back in 20, uh, 2005 for almost $4 billion in a bid to compete directly with Nike in the U.S. market.
Right, members of the Electoral College have confirmed Joe Biden's presidential election victory. The Democrat won with 306 Electoral College votes to Donald Trump's 232. The constitutional process, well, as you know, usually seen as a bit of a formality, but it's more significant milestone this year, yes, because the current president, Mr Trump, has, as you may well be aware, called into question the legitimacy of the election results. Uh, Speaking after the Electoral College cemented his win, the president-elect Joe Biden condemned Trump's attempts to challenge the result. In America, when questions are raised about the legitimacy of any election, those questions are resolved through the legal processes. And that's precisely what happened here. The Trump campaign brought, brought dozens and dozens and dozens of legal challenges to test the result. They were heard again and again. And each of the times they were heard, they were found to be without merit. U.S. Attorney General William Barr has announced he will leave office before Christmas. Uh, It comes not long after Barr said there was no widespread fraud in the election, defying President Trump. Mr. Trump, guess what he did? Go on, get... Oh, there you go, it shows. He took to Twitter to confirm the news, adding that his relationship with Barr had been a, quote, very good one. Barr's last day will be December 23rd. The Deputy Attorney General Jeff Rosen will become the Acting General Attorney General as well. I mean, what's there to say? You've got a one-man... Well, mm. plus Mr Giuliani and uh, the rest of the... Uh, the legal team fighting a fight, which seems, I mean, again, just looking at the US legal process and what happened with the Supreme Court in the last few days, it seems a forlorn battle as well. So just now we seem to see that many Republican senators and congressmen generally, just they seem to be just uh, admitting that actually... Acceptance, isn't it? It's acceptance, It's like, it's like yeah. those phases of oh, emotional response. What do, you, what do you get? Anger? Anger, denial... denial. And then ultimately acceptance. Something else in the world is four, uh, isn't there? Yeah, I think there are four. But yeah, so... Uh, but it's funny, isn't it? I mean, you know, the this is beginning now to look like, um, I, I don't know, we'll come up with some movies, some songs. Is it the Titanic, the end of an era for this great vessel of state for the last four years? Meanwhile, you've got Joe Biden's like the Blues Brothers. He's putting the band back together because all the people turning up in his cabinet been at around the moment a while, seem to be ex-Obama uh, representatives, which in, in itself is probably not a bad thing if they've got experience um, in a, a position of power within government. But it does raise some questions about just how innovative, exciting and different the Biden administration can be with a lot of people that have come from previous governments. Here, here. The only thing I will add is that a very important, uh, obviously, what happens in uh, on January the 5th in Georgia um, now, if the Senate isn't controlled by the Democrats, they're going to need to work with the Republicans. This is going to have to be, let's try and do this together. And the end of such extreme bipartisanship or, or, or sorry, partisanship uh, and try and find some form of end of polarization as well. And the one thing I did read in the last 24 hours is that Lindsey Graham, of course, South Carolina senator, has had a very good 10-minute conversation, very cordial conversation with the president-elect as well. And, and if we are going to get any progress politically, socially, whatever you want to say out of the United States, then people like Lindsey Graham have got to work with Joe Biden as well. So, you know, I mean, no matter what side of the ledger you're on, Republican, Democrat, whatever, if they're talking, there's got to be good news as well. So that's interesting from my point of view. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.